trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Now, this is your first time aboard. You may be asking yourself, all right, what is it? What's going to make this worth my while to stick around and listen to this fool yammer on for, well, however long it takes? And to be honest, I really don't know that I have anything special to offer you. You know, my sunny disposition may be (laughs) some powerful leverage, but then again, maybe it isn't. I can just put it this way. I am simply a guy who is doing his best to find and speak the truth as best I understand it in the hopes that other people out there who are looking for a truthful take on what's going on in the world will find it and put that information to good use. But you need to understand something. In no way, shape, or form am I implying that you have to agree with me in order to to be a decent person. Because there's always the possibility I may be dead wrong. I've tried to study things out. I've tried to find the best resources that I can to, uh, you know, I'm talking about good quality sources that are principled, that are consistent in their their principle, that aren't just carrying water for somebody's agenda. That's what I look for on a day-to-day basis. And I've got some great resources for wrong thinkers. If you want to check them out, go to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com, and you'll see there's a lot of resources available on a daily basis for people who are serious about knowing what's going on. Now, it's not just a matter of, yeah, we want to know what's going on so we can, you know, win any trivia game, you know, at the bar or whatever. No, it's about knowing what's going on so that we can better understand the world, what needs to be improved upon or fixed and what we can do within our own circle of influence to make that happen. Yeah, it's a tall order. But if you look around you, wouldn't you agree that the world needs people who are willing to stand up and do the right thing for the right reasons? In fact, I think I want to start today with with an example of what that looks like. And this goes back to a conversation that I had quite a few years ago with a friend of mine who uh, he was he was one of my mentors in terms of helping me better understand what is liberty? What are the principles and what are the practices of liberty? And my friend Jim, um, you know, to, you would think that him being a proselytizing atheist and me being, a, you know, a card-carrying Mormon would, uh, would probably not have a lot in common. But the one thing we did have in common was we absolutely loved freedom. And Jim had a lot of wisdom in his years. He'd been through a lot of things. So when I knew that he was approaching the end of his life, I was on the phone with him one day and I, I really felt an impression like, you know what, you need to ask him some, some questions here as if this were the last time you're going to talk to him. Okay, so I didn't have this imminent thought, oh, he's going to die. I just thought, you know, there are some things that I really would like to know him. And I asked him, what are the most important things you have learned in your 75 years? What are the most important truths that you would, would say you have learned? And not surprisingly, his very first response was, well, I've learned that life is about loving and being loved in return. And I think that's, uh, that's important. I would not disagree with him in the least. And he talked about how that outweighed all material concerns. But his second response actually kind of surprised me. Because he quoted a line from Shakespeare's Hamlet, where Polonius counsels his son Laertes, This above all, to thine own self be true. And, as, and it must follow, as the night, the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. 
Now, Jim told me, though, he had read these words many times throughout his life. He said, now I feel them in every part of my heart. And, you know, I've pondered that. You know, what does it mean to be true to yourself? And if you're true to yourself, then you can't be false to any man. And I remembered the story of a professional golfer by the name of Blaine Barber. Now, I don't follow golf, so he may be a common name to some people. I know he, he did um, eventually make it into the PGA's quali- the PGA ranks. But I first heard about Blaine Barber when he was an aspiring golfer in the process of completing the PGA's qualifying school. And as he finished a tournament, he inadvertently, he was in a bunker apparently, and he inadvertently moved a leaf with his club and took a penalty stroke. Now his caddy told him, I didn't see the leaf move. But Barber took the penalty anyway. See, the problem is, in that situation, the correct penalty is actually two strokes. That's something Barber didn't realize till talking with a former teammate after the tournament. And here's where the problem arises. He had a tough decision to make because had he taken that two-shot penalty at the time, he would have made the cut. He would have progressed to the second stage of PGA school. But by admitting that he had signed an incorrect scorecard, He was facing mandatory disqualification. Now think about yourself in that situation. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty minuscule mistake. Nobody had to know. No one would have been harmed. Even his caddy was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But the problem was Blaine Barber knew. In fact, in his words, he said, I continued to pray about it. I continued to think about it. And I just didn't have any peace about it. I knew I needed to do the right thing. I knew it was going to be disqualification. So he came forward and admitted, look, I inadvertently signed this scorecard and it is incorrect. And that decision cost him the opportunity that year to advance in the PGA. He eventually got in, but can you imagine, you know, the dreams of I'm going to play professional golf and suddenly you're disqualified. Now, I, I, I share this with you because it points out something that's far more valuable than simply, well, I finally, you know, gained my spot in the PGA. As Barber put it, doing the right thing and doing what I know is right in my heart and in my conscience is more important than short-term success. Let me read that one more time because that is a truly profound statement. Doing the right thing and doing what I know is right in my heart and in my conscience is more important than short-term success. So by being true to himself, Blaine Barber sacrificed certain short-term material gains. But he gained something long-term in way of character that not only brought him peace, but also serves as a really powerful example for anyone who learns about his story. So which one is of greater value in the long run? I mean, I know how I would answer that question. You think about it. Some of the greatest minds throughout history have correctly observed that our character is best revealed in those moments when no one else is watching us. And those who are consistently true in the seemingly small decisions are more likely to be true when they're faced with great decisions. So I I don't know that Blaine Barber is necessarily a household name. He really deserves to be one, though, for making that kind of decision and setting that kind of example. 
Now, you and I have similar situations that will pop up in our lives where we'll be tested with, you know, it's, it's, this is such a small thing. I'm sure I could just get away with it or just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. And nobody would be any the wiser. But there's the test of your conscience. You would know. And if you believe in God, you know God would know. So that's the test of being true to yourself. Now, I don't know exactly what I'm asking you to do other than just consider. When you can trust yourself to be true in small choices, it's a lot easier to trust yourself when you're faced with really big decisions. That's got to be part of the mindset of a person who's committed to, to liberty, who's committed to living free. And right now, that's what we need. Now, when we come back, the other side of the break, got a couple of different things we're going to delve into here. Uh, I've got a great article from Alan Stevo reminding us that we are fighting for survival. It matters how we use our influence. One thing he points out here that I thought was really interesting is he says, take a look around you at who's being targeted for destruction. Yeah, it may be people like, oh, it's Alex Jones or it's this person or that person, but it's the people who can't be controlled. Kanye West, there's another one. So we'll talk a little bit about his article. We'll also uh, discuss the growing number of voters who find themselves alienated from the two major political parties. There is a big group of political orphans out there. And there's some real potential. If they were ever to coalesce into a united movement, they could really give the establishment a run for its money. Edward Ring has a great article on this. We'll even explore you know, why that is, isn't happening, at least at the moment, why they aren't coming together. We'll talk about how the mainstream media is becoming a threat to democracy. Oh, they're always talking about threats to democracy. But uh, John Green's got an article about how self-governance doesn't work if you don't have a robust and honest news industry. And if there's time, I really want to share this article with you from Jordan Alexander. Uh, A very convincing take about why not to trust the medical system today. This has been an especially interesting one for me because I've been in and out of the medical system quite a bit here in the last five weeks. I fell, I injured my shoulder and, you know, trip to the emergency room. Now I've got follow-up visits, got to go get an MRI, the whole nine yards. Going to the doctor's office, it's just not the same as it used to be. Even going to the dentist's office really isn't the same as it used to be. Part of it's the COVID protocols and part of it's just... The nature of the medical system has changed rather dramatically in the last couple of years. So that's what's ahead. Stay with us. We'll be back just after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. You'll notice I have a sponsor's link on my website. I would encourage you to click on the one that says Garage Door Pros. Or you can go right to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. This is a local company to St. George, Utah, Cedar City, Utah, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. And they install, service, and repair garage doors. Not just any garage doors, mind you. Garage doors made here in America. 
And that includes, by the way, insulated garage doors. If you're thinking about, you know, taking a little extra care of the stuff that's in your garage. Some people, that's where they want to keep their food storage. Well, talk to them about insulated garage doors. They do residential as well as commercial service. Go to garagedoorproservices.com. Take a look. And if you have a need of what they have to offer, please consider doing business with them. I'd greatly appreciate it. So let's talk about uh, Alan Stevo, his latest article, You're Fighting for Survival. Now, he's, uh, he's kind of rallying the troops to, to get out and vote. And normally I would push back against this, but I want you to hear what he has to say. And I think I'm probably not going to push back on this one too hard. He says there's a common libertarian trope, a common conservative trope, a common Christian trope that voting doesn't matter. But he says it was the trope of a different era. It was a trope from the era that brought about our present era. It was a trope created by a free people who thought freedom was their birthright that they would have to put no work into preserving. Freedom was their birthright, he says. Like anything of value, you have people who will seize it from you when you've given the opportunity or when given the opportunity. So you must either stand on guard or else you come to a time like the time we now know. Virtually every institution in society now operates for your demise. Boy, let that one sink in for just a second. He's not wrong. Virtually every institution in society now operates for your demise. I like the way James Howard Kunstler puts it, and that is that uh, the authorities are your enemy. And if you don't believe me, look at how they treat you. They treat you like an enemy. Now, back to Alan Stevo's article. He says, I'm not just talking about voting. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about doing everything you can. I'm talking about fighting to advance freedom on all fronts and with as much power as you can muster. That's what's needed of you. At such a moment, you can pretend that your participation matters not at all. You're on social media, which is exactly where they want you. You're watching internet broadcasts that get you well informed enough to watch more, which is exactly what they want of you. You're outraged, which is exactly what they want of you. He says, listen to me, it doesn't matter a lick how outraged you are unless you do something about it. Action is all that matters. And he says, I know you might have some objections to voting. Maybe you're unable to get beyond the math of elections. I get it. Most elections aren't decided by one vote. Perhaps you hate the collectivism of it. Your single vote probably doesn't mean much. I get it. He says, perhaps you know the elections are not accurate. I hear that. I've been around elections since childhood. I've worked elections in most American states, and I have been an international election monitor in a number of countries. I can tell you plenty of stories about how inaccurate the results are. All of those complaints you're right about. You probably have other good complaints, too. And if I only wanted you to vote, that would, those would be good complaints to shut me up with. But that's not what I want. He says, my complaint, my complaint is with your participation in your demise. Now listen to how he outlines this. He says, I don't want you just to vote. I want you to vote for the better person in each race. I don't just want you to vote for the better person. I also want you to find candidates you believe in. I do not want you to just do this haphazardly. I want you to vote in every election, in every single race. And I want you to do your homework to find the very best candidates. I want you to actively pursue the best candidate. There are hundreds of candidates up for election each year where you live. Out of those hundreds, if you can't find three or four who really represent you, then there's probably something wrong with you and your ability to cooperate rather than the system. But he says, I don't just want you to find those few good candidates. I want you to support them bigly. 
I don't just want you to support them bigly to win this election. I want you to support them bigly through their time in office. I want you reading agendas, showing up for important votes, rallying others for those same votes, and having a regular line of communication with that person you helped elect. One that lets you pick up the phone and talk to him anytime you want. And I don't want you to just stop there. I want you to help him build an organization. I want you to help him recruit others. I want you to help him build a movement. So let's apply that experience to a specific candidate. He says, some man or woman out there gets so fed up that he decides to go through the sheer misery of running for office as a grassroots candidate. He ties his name publicly to ideas that the powers that be hate, becomes the object of ridicule, and a handful of people over the course of a campaign step forward and make a difference in his campaign. A handful of people can make such an impact. They reach out to that candidate and help total strangers. And from that, a candidate can build a movement if he knows what he's doing. A big movement can start with a single candidacy that attracts a small handful of the right people. That's it. He says it's really that simple. Now, Alan Stevo says, look, I, I get it. You might not change the world overnight by doing this, but that guy running can have his life changed by your support. You can change that man's life by looking for him and giving him your support. Many good candidates fail for a lack of one or two people who didn't come along and believe in them. Many movements never materialize for no other reason than that. He says, I spend a good deal of my time traveling up and down the left coast, organizing grassroots activists. You would not believe what a difference you can make in the next two weeks by finding a good person, reaching out, and supporting that candidate mightily. I says, perhaps you're starting to see that I'm not talking about voting. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about you saying that you're invested enough in your community to support good people trying to do good things. It's about being invested in the world around you. It's about being more than just the tourist in your own community that the modernity would prefer you to be. Since the Ides of March 2020, he says, my time, my income, my effort have gone overwhelmingly to the cause of freedom on all fronts as much as I've gone into the fight. Now he says, I know I have more than some. I know I have less than, less than others, but I give mightily from what I've been blessed with. So knowing that, he says, you can imagine how allergic I might be to excuses people give to not be involved in the simplest of ways. When I hear an excuse about why someone refuses to say no to the mask at every moment in life or why someone won't vote, I don't see courage. I see cowardice. In fact, it's not just a cowardice of being unwilling to stand. It goes further. I see someone too cowardly to commit and unwillingness to commit is an ugly cowardice all its own. And he goes, I know all the arguments against voting are well-regarded, well-established, and intellectual-sounding, especially in some of the circles I travel in. Libertarians and conservatives alike have many good-sounding reasons not to vote. The same arguments are made in favor of perpetual tourism or polyamory, though often by different people. The thought process is the same. What's the point of committing when there is no benefit? And he says, I get it. Commitment can suck. Leading can be a slog. People seldom appreciate you and life can be tough. So why do any of that? Why not just turn on, tune in, and drop out? Well, he says, here we, here we come to a cultural quandary. For I cannot build you into someone that you are not. Perhaps you stuff your face with soy, or you fill your time with screens, or you pursue as much ease as you can. If you are anything like contemporary man, then it, that is you, with that pursuit of comfort part being the most enfeebling part of the mix. But he says, if that's not you, then you have to be fighting on all fronts. You have to root neglect out of your life, all fronts, 
time, money, effort, prayer, intellect, entrepreneurship, volunteerism, coordination, organizing, whatever it may be. He says the good guys are winning. The bad guys really are putting up a fight. And as that fight intensifies, it's becoming increasingly clear. It's not just an election we're talking about here. While you're hemming and hawing about helping a candidate, your adversary is playing for keeps on every front. You're seeing the plan for you play out on the world stage. Alex Jones must be destroyed because he can't be controlled. Donald Trump must be destroyed because he can't be controlled. Kanye West must be destroyed because he can't be controlled. The point is, if you can't be controlled, similar plans for you are not far behind. Alan Stevo says, realizing this, you might understand why I say complete and total victory on all fronts is needed. It's not just about voting. It's not just about face masks. It's not just about a host of other superficial things. It's about your attitude. It's about the need for you to be all in. This moment needs everything of you. And he asks, are you in? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to HSLAmmo.com, also MonticelloCollege.org and lifesavingfood.com. I've got links to each one of these sponsors in my daily show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. In fact, I encourage you to subscribe. All it's going to cost you is an email address, and I'll drop a copy of those show notes into your inbox each morning that I do this program. So let's talk a little bit about uh, mainstream media. Ah, yes, my nemesis, mainstream media. I've had beef ever since uh, it was pointed out and I finally recognized, my gosh, they are spinning things. They are distorting what they're reporting. And ever since then, I've, I've, I mean, there was a time where I used to sit and yell at the TV, that's not right! You know, now I take a little more direct approach. In fact, I, I, one of the things I really enjoy doing, and this is uh, some contract work that I do with the Idaho Freedom Foundation, I do a program twice a week called Nowhere to Hide. And my job is to take legacy media in Idaho to task over bias in the various stories that they're reporting. And in an election year, you can guess there's, it's a pretty target-rich environment, so there's a lot to work with. I've got a great article here from John Green. This is from AmericanThinker.com. The MSM threatens democracy. John Green says, For our form of self-governance to work, we need a robust news industry. Its role is to hold authority accountable and allow an informed public to make well-reasoned decisions. That's why a free and independent press is protected by the Constitution. But our mainstream media has run wildly off the rails. He says the MSM is no longer a purveyor of truth, but rather a developer of narratives, and they're shameless about it calling such narratives fake but accurate. So the facts may be wrong, but the story supports the chosen narrative. They no longer inform the public. Instead, they mislead it to satisfy ideological objectives. The MSM has become an industry of propagandists, no longer facilitating self-governance, but undermining it. A recent New York Times-Siena College poll found that uh, shocking 71% of Americans consider our democracy to be under threat. Now, of that group... 84% consider the mainstream media to be the biggest threat to our democracy. 
That equals that equates to 60% of all Americans viewing the MSM as a threat. Not drug cartels, Islamic fundamentalists, or even MAGA hat-wearing semi-fascists, but the mainstream media. And that poll is not an outlier either. It's consistent with a recent Gallup poll on our confidence in institutions. It found that Americans rank print and television news next to the bottom of institutions they have confidence in. The only institution that garners less confidence than the news is our we-need-to-pass-it-to-find-what's-in-it Congress. Even used car dealers command greater confidence. So it's no wonder that television ratings, uh, television news ratings specifically, are collapsing. But the problem created goes well beyond ratings and commercial revenues. It's a disaster for our country. Over the years, the MSM's commitment to social engineering has grown, and its fidelity to the truth has waned. Propaganda only works as long as people think they're receiving the truth. It fails when people know it's propaganda. Ironically, the MSM's overzealous pursuit of influence has cost them their influence. For years, the mainstream media has stretched the boundaries of credibility to make the absurd fit the narrative. They've been caught telling us falsehoods that were obvious falsehoods. They created a narrative bubble which is now bursting. Six out of ten Americans know they've been lying to us. They're now seen as the propaganda ministry of the left and the political party the left controls. The MSM told us that Donald Trump conspired with Russia to steal an election. They continued the lie even after special counsel Robert Mueller reluctantly exonerated Trump of any such crime, pumping up the narrative bubble. We were told that BLM riots were mostly peaceful, but we saw buildings burned, people murdered, businesses looted. The bubble grew. Now they're telling us that we're not actually in a recession and recessions don't matter. We're expected to believe that the economy is sound as we watch our retirement accounts evaporate and we consume our savings to survive. The lie is obvious and the bubble is straining to contain the narrative. The MSM assured us that Joe Biden would return normalcy to the White House. They didn't share the ever-mounting evidence of his corruption. They also hid the fact that the man is visibly spiraling into dementia. That popping sound the MSM hears is the propaganda becoming too outrageous to maintain. The Joe Smiden is smart, honest, and reasonable tale was more than the narrative could sustain. The bubble is bursting. The narrative can't conceal the lies any longer. Now when they report facts, we don't believe them. We know they make up facts, in quotation marks, all the time. When they interpret events, we don't hear the analysis. We suspect the narrative. Unfortunately, the problem goes beyond mere mainstream media's credibility gap. We'll no longer believe the experts that the MSM has failed to hold accountable either. When deep state bureaucrats or Democrat Party operatives say something, why should we believe them? Nobody's checking their veracity. The media was charged with holding them accountable, but instead has enabled them. Now neither can be trusted. The state of affairs is not good for America going forward. The next time government needs us to believe information, we won't. Government experts experts may tell us we're facing a public crisis, like a pandemic, but our response will be, says who? Would that be the same scientists who were caught lying about COVID or the press that helped them? Even if what we're being told is the truth for a change, how will we know until we verify it ourselves? That's a good question. Now, the next time the country needs broad acceptance for a policy issue, we'll question if it's really an issue at all. Is it something that really requires attention, or is it just an excuse to expand government control, like the climate change narrative has been? Don't expect us to make any sacrifices for the good of the country, or the planet for that matter, 
just because confirmed liars claim to be telling the truth this time. John Green says this public disregard of media and government information is not merely a theoretical forecast of what the future holds. It's happening right now. For well over a year, we've been told the January 6th attack on the Capitol was a big deal, an attack on the very foundation of our government, an insurrection. The mainstream media has breathlessly told us it was a bigger attack on America than the 2,977 people murdered on 9-11. And what, did the MS, what response did the mainstream media get? We yawned and changed the channel. Now they're shocked that we don't see January 6th as the crisis they claim it was. Well, here's a newsflash for them. It's not because we don't care about America, it's because we don't believe them anymore. They threw away their credibility for the sake of their ideology. Now they're finding out too late what the value of that discarded credibility was. We've learned that we can't trust the media, the government bureaucracy, or the political party the left controls. We'll no longer support the causes they champion because propaganda exposed is a narrative ignored. John Green reminds us again, our democracy can't function without an informed public. And that's dependent on an effective news industry. But they've willingly sacrificed their credibility and along with it, their effectiveness. 60% of Americans have rendered their verdict. The mainstream media is a threat to our democracy because it undermined the checks and balances necessary to keep our government accountable to us. Self-governance, our representative democracy, fails without that accountability. He says it really well. And I can, I can already hear the cries of outrage, you know, from mainstream media types. What? You know who I am. I am an award-winning journalist. I follow the strictest journalistic standards, and my fellow journalists all agree with me. Yes, I know, that's the problem, though. You live in the echo chamber of you and your fellow journalists. And therefore, you think that whatever narrative or whatever, uh, whatever you, uh, ideology you assign to, to the spin that you put on your stories is the right one. Because after all, all my colleagues agree with me, and including our colleagues up there at Capitol Hill. Why, they all think the same way that I do. And we've all assured each other that, yes, we are professional journalists, and we know exactly what we're doing. Not like those homegrown bloggers and, and podcasters. and st- Oh, man, they look down their noses at people who don't have the same badges of compliance that they have. But more often than not... And I say this as someone who on a daily basis is regularly seeking out information, quality information, credible, timely, principled information. It's those grassroots journalists. It's those citizen journalists who often get it right. Yeah, I get it. I know there there are some kooks out there too. But rather than just sitting back and waiting for someone to be the one true news source, you and I have to train ourselves to be able to discern fact from fiction and truth from error. I'm not going to pretend like that's an easy thing. It takes practice. But once you have a basic, uh, a, a basis from which to think clearly and independently, and it's not about having all the answers and I've got all the information right here in my head, but knowing how to ask the right questions that will shed sufficient light on a given topic that you can start to see that object or that topic in its, in its uh, full you know, perspective. That's how you become a better informed person. Does that make sense? The questions are an essential part of that, which is why I advise question everything, including anything that you hear me say, because there's an off chance I might be wrong as well. 
We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Look, I don't know the reasons why you have tuned in today, but I hope that you're finding some light and knowledge to better guide you on your journey through this uh, fallen world. And hopefully, part of that journey is you making the difference that you were born to make. Something very incredible happens whenever we tap into that sense of life purpose. And suddenly life is a lot be- a lot less about, well, it's time to get up and, you know, earn money so I can buy things and, you know, accumulate toys and then die when I retire. But unfortunately for a lot of people, that's kind of the script that they've been reading from. You tap into that sense of purpose. You tap into the idea that, hey, what if I was born to do something like that's really mine, my job alone? And you start working on that, everything in life becomes deeper, more meaningful, and uh, you start to see what others would likely dismiss as coincidences, but you will actually recognize as, oh, wow, that's God's hand in my life. I know this may sound nutty to some people. It's it's not a message that everybody's going to resonate with, but for those who get it, you get it. And there's something profoundly reassuring about recognizing that... uh, Your creator has his hand on you and wants you to succeed. Anyway, I'm going to touch on two quick things here. Um, Let's start with the, the growing number of voters who find themselves alienated from the two major political parties. This is an article from Edward Ring published on amgreatness.com, American Greatness, America's Brilliant Political Orphans. Edward Ring says, for the millions of Americans who over the years have been impressed with Tulsi Gabbard's courage and authenticity, even if not in agreement with all of her positions on some important issues, her decision to denounce the Democratic Party was a welcome development. In fact, he asks, what's not to like in this statement? Quote, I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that is now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by radicalizing every issue and stoke anti-white racism, actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms, are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, demonize the police and protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, believe in open borders, weaponize the national security state to go after political opponents, and above all, are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. End quote. That is a heck of a quote, by the way. Gabbard characterized the Democratic Party as standing for a government of, by, and for the powerful elite. So Gabbard is now a political orphan, and she's not alone. An emerging group of politicians and public intellectuals agree on key economic and social issues, yet cannot find a home in either major political party. Their ideology, while embracing a kind of libertarian ideal of limited government, stops short of embracing the libertarian party as an alternative. An example of a rising politician and well-established intellectual who fits this profile is Michael Schellenberger, a Californian who's twice run for governor and is the author of two important books. Schellenberger's Schellenberger's, Apocalypse Never, published in 2020, makes a strong case that there is not a climate crisis and that policies supposedly designed to mitigate it are doing more harm than good. 
San Francisco, San Francisco, rather, published a year later, indicts progressive politicians for choosing policies that have only aggravated the homeless crisis. Now, Schellenberger offers comprehensive research and commentary on both woke politics and climate politics. And by the way, just as an aside, he is an awesome research or resource, rather, if you want to look into woke ideology. It's it's this is a guy who has done some very serious study and he can really shed some insights. So strongly recommend looking out or looking up uh, Michael Schellenberger if you want to know more about what it is that's driving this whole woke movement. And he's also reported on uh, climate politics. He reports on the growing catastrophe caused by systemic divestment out of conventional energy, natural gas, oil, and nuclear, at the same time as he's produced valuable investigations into the destructive impact of homeless policies that don't recognize and treat pervasive mental illness, but instead sink billions of dollars into providing expensive housing with no behavioral conditions for occupancy. Well, one of Schellenberger's most recent essays, published at, Suspect, at Substack, rather, is called The Quiet Desperation of Woke Fanatics. It is a convincing, unflattering description of the psychology of climate activists and woke activists. Citing Eric Hoffer's 1951 classic, The True Believer, Schellenberger describes the mentality of the woke and the climate activists. Quote, They are frustrated, needy, and lonely. They are in the grip of nihilism and wounded narcissistically. They're spiritual seekers and creative failures. They both have a strong need for to feel special and powerful, but also to lose themselves in the group. They are people who desperately want to get away from having to deal with themselves and the confrontation with inner demons required for personal growth. End quote. Now, these emotionally unstable fanatics are the people being opportunistically used to drive the agenda of Democrats and Republicans alike. This alienated minority has been mainstreamed and legitimized by every established American institution to further the agenda of what Gabbard so aptly describes as a government of, by, and for the powerful elite. Catering to their intricate demands requires new laws and regulations which cause small businesses to fail, enable corporate consolidation, raise the cost of living, and undermine social cohesion. No wonder so many people have lost trust in American institutions, and no wonder we have so many political orphans. Another political orphan is Joel Kotkin, a prolific writer who's quietly leveraged his expertise on urban geography and demographics to become a respected analyst covering global political and economic trends. Kotkin, who, like Schellenberger and Gabbard, was once a Democrat, claims our society is being reduced to a feudal state. In his 2020 book, The Coming of Neo-Feudalism, he warns the middle class is becoming one of propertyless serfs, while the expert class of the clerisy and tech oligarchs take over. While Kotkin was one of the first to describe what's coming as feudal, a critical differentiating issue for him concerns urban planning. Kotkin, along with economist Randall O'Toole, the anti-planner, correctly identifies environmentalist-inspired urban containment where green belts or urban service boundaries are imposed to limit the expansion of cities as a primary reason for a housing shortage and unaffordable homes. Now, there's much more to this article. I'm going to let you discover it on your own, but when you have these uh, these political orphans like Gabbard, Schellenberger, Kotkin, and there's a couple others that are mentioned here, they are speaking for what is indeed a silent majority of Americans, silenced by the media, by their professors and teachers, by a saturation bombardment of woke corporate messaging, 
and by politicians that are either completely in the grip of woke ideology and climate activism or too cowardly to resist. These rising stars and countless others who will join them will not be silenced. And they will channel the sentiments and answer the prayers of Americans who've had no voice and no champions. How America's movement of political orphans grows, what shape it will take, or who or what it will align itself with, will be most interesting. If they coalesce into a united movement, it will inevitably grow to rival America's ruling elites in political power. And that is the reason I'm sharing this with you, is because that's something I wouldn't mind seeing. I really would like to see us come together, you know, on on these issues where we can set aside differences and speak with one voice that asserts the primacy of freedom. I saw this meme the other day. It was so good. I, I, I probably need to share this in my show notes, which by the way, you do get a meme every day as part of my show notes. I try to pick something that's especially dank and, and will get you thinking. But the meme said something to the effect of, uh, don't ever let anybody tell you that uh, you need to give up your freedom for the greater good. The reason is your freedom is the greater good. Freedom itself is the greater good. Without it, not a lot else matters. All right, got about a minute here. Let me just uh, briefly point you toward another article. This is from Jordan Alexander, Why I Don't Trust the Medical System. And Jordan Alexander is not alone. There are some real problems with the medical system these days. The trust has been eroded over the last several years. And and these days, you know, broken bone, cancer, or something that's immediately life-threatening are really about the only ailments that uh, Jordan says that they would turn to the hospital for with treatment, or with for treatment. I feel the same way. It has to be very serious before I will consider going to the doctor. How do we fix that? Jordan Alexander says we can demand better from our doctors, and while I don't doubt there are fantastic doctors out there, they seem to be increasingly few and far between, and so it's up to us to be informed participants in our healthcare decisions, ready and willing to advocate for ourselves. And at the end of the day, the best things we can all do are the simplest. Eat healthy, exercise, get some fresh air. Yeah, the part about uh, preventative maintenance has really been weighing on me lately, mainly because I need to step up my own efforts at uh, preventative maintenance. But in the meantime, where are the good doctors? I know a few. If you need need me to recommend one, I'll do my best. Likewise, if you can recommend one to me, I'm all ears. This is The Brian Hyde Show.